So today, ooh, so today, as uh, as I said earlier, um, today what we're going to talk about is the why question of why Christianity. Out of all the religions in the world, why Christianity? So first off, I'd like to just apologize because you're going to deal with me for the next however long we're doing this for. Um, so I'm sorry for that. Two, I'm sorry because a lot of this stuff we're actually going to, we're not going to be able to unpack like we should be able to in terms of I'm covering a lot of information. Um, so we're just kind of, you're going to get the the spark notes version of a lot of things that would take a lot longer to go over. So if things are a little hard to understand or comprehend at the moment, that is totally okay, and we can continue a conversation about it whenever you want. Um, but, so for why Christianity? What evidence do we have that proves Christianity true? Now, weirdly enough, there's actually a lot of evidence, but to answer the question of why Christianity, we have three other questions we have to answer first. First is, how is it different? How does Christianity differ from all the other religions? Second, does God actually exist? And then three, is the Bible true? So we're going to see how it's different. We're going to see if God actually exists. And if God actually does exist, we're going to find out if the Bible is true. Because if all three of those things are true and accurate, Christianity has to be the truth. So we're going to start with the first question. How is Christianity different from all the other religions? Um, Some would say Christianity is faith-based, right? It's built on faith. We hear that word quite a bit, but sometimes we forget what faith can actually mean. Sometimes it gets um, twisted. For example, we have uh, Professor Richard Dawkins from Oxford University. He is a very well-known atheist. He has written books like The God Delusion. His goal in life is to try to sway anybody away from Christianity. He, it's funny that he's called an atheist because I'm pretty sure he just hates God. I think that's what it boils down to. There's a lot of atheists that just hate God, and it's not that they don't believe in him. They just don't like him. What's up? I don't know that specifically, but Charles Darwin does have a lot to do with the evolution that we know today. Um, And if you have any questions on evolution, we can talk about that on another Why Wednesday. Um, But atheist Richard Dawkins, he sums it up by saying, faith is believing in something where there's no evidence. We call that blind faith. Richard Dawkins believes that we just trust in God because there's no evidence that he exists, but it's just something that makes us all feel good. But... Like I said before, sometimes that faith word gets twisted. Faith is just an ordinary word. It's in the dictionary just like everything else. Faith, basically in its simplest form, just means trust. We trust God. Now, the cool thing about Christianity, there's two types of faith. Fun fact. We have the faith in the belief in, and we have the faith in the belief that. So what does that mean? We believe that God exists, that Jesus came to live a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he sent out his disciples to go forth and spread the good news. But we also believe in what that sacrifice meant. We believe in God and his sovereignty. We believe that he is above all things and that he is love. The thing is, demons even believe that God exists, but the difference is they don't believe in God. So two different types of belief. Now, what I like about that is there's a head and a heart. Belief that is of the head. Belief in is that of the heart. So 
when it comes to faith and we talk about Christianity, faith, you know, Christianity isn't a blind faith. Christianity is evidence-based. Would you trust a fact or a person if they didn't have any evidence to back up what they were saying? For example, I'm a 2,000-pound pink gorilla with an elephant nose. Believe it? No, there's no evidence. I am not a 2,000-pound pink gorilla with an elephant fur nose. So, trusting when there is no evidence, like we said, is blind faith, can be very dangerous. There is an, another Oxford professor who is a Christian. His name is John Lennox. We're actually going to hear from him in a bit. Um, but he says it this way about blind faith. Blind faith can be dangerous. That can be the type of faith that can sway young men to fly planes into tall buildings. Blind faith is dangerous, which is why we put our faith in an evidence-based Christianity. So most, most atheists today want tangible scientific evidence to prove that God is real. Now, we, for what we're going to talk about, we got a lot of evidence to prove that we do have evidence, archaeological evidence, manuscripts, stuff like that. We'll get to that in a second. But what I hear from a lot of atheists sometimes is the unreasonable. For example, I was watching a Q&A with a pastor who likes to go out into the middle of some areas sometimes, and he'll just have Q&As with people. He won't even have anything that he's talking. He'll wait for a question, and he'll engage then. And this one girl came up, and she goes, where are the medical records proving that Jesus rose from the dead? Full well knowing that that doesn't exist. That didn't exist back in that day. Culturally, they were a very illiterate like time. So of course medical records aren't going to exist. So why are you asking the question that medical records for the medical records of Jesus? Because some atheists, as we mentioned before, I think they just more hate God. They just don't want you to believe in it. And so it's a condition of the heart. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite apologists, his name is Frank Turek. If there's an atheist that comes up during one of his Q and A's, um, if it's a rather, out of a time, um, what he'll do is at the end, he'll ask them, okay, so set aside everything. If, just hypothetically, Christianity, you just knew Christianity to be true, would you believe it? And there are still some people that will go, no. Because they don't want to believe in a God that has rules. They don't want to believe in a God that has guidelines to live by. So every once in a while, I say all this is to prepare you that when you go on in life, there's going to be some people that come up to you and that might ask you those types of questions. And it's on you to be able to, to see what that truly is. It is an issue of the heart that there is something deeper to look into. It's not just hatred coming from people, but they have some type of tension to something. So it's on us to, to see that. But we're talking about why is Christianity different? So three of the main monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. How do just those differ? Because they're all very similar. So Judaism, we're going to talk about Jesus. Judaism, Judaism believes that Christ died but did not rise. Islam believes that Jesus was a wise prophet and Messiah, was born of the Virgin Mary, but never died. Then he's coming back on the day of judgment. So what does that differ from Christianity? Well, Christianity says, oh, Christianity, we believe that he died, he rose again, he defeated death in the grave, taking atonement for our sins on the cross. So the difference between us and Islam, one of the big differences is Jesus died for us. So 
Many other religions also believe that Jesus exists and reference him in some way or another in their writings, religious texts, this and that. And they always usually refer to him, always usually, that's good. They usually refer to him as a wise teacher or someone who taught a great way to live. Um, But all these religions essentially have a finger pointed at Jesus to a degree. So if all these other religions, not just Islam, Judaism, but I mean, we're talking Buddhism even talks about him. Uh, Hinduism even talks about Jesus. They mentioned that he existed. Uh, what does Jesus say about other religions? For that, I like to go to John fourteen six because he answered this question. He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if so many religions are talking about Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm the truth. I don't know, this Jesus guy sounded pretty cool. So, what else makes Christianity different? And this is probably the biggest difference between every other religion that's on the planet. Most other religions are all works-based. It's what you can do in this life, right? It's how good can you be of a person? How much did you give to charity? Uh, Did you adopt the orphan? Did you take care of the poor? And if you do all these things, we'll let you into heaven but it's based on your works. That's what it has to be. But Christianity flips. And instead of being accepted at the end based on merit, Christianity says, I've accepted you. I have taken care of the payment through my sacrifice, being Jesus. Now welcome into heaven, but all you have to do is just believe in me. So everyone else acceptance based on merit. Jesus says, that's not the case. So that's how Christianity differs from all the other religions in the world. But second question, does God exist? Now let's forget a second everything we know about the God of the Bible. Let's start this by saying we're trying to decipher whether God actually does exist. Be an atheist with me for a second. So let's go over some evidence. Now, For us to exist today, an apologist named Frank Turek, as I mentioned before, he says it this way. You need a God God that's spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite. That is what's needed for us to exist. So what's the arguments for God's existence? There are three main ones. There's a cosmological argument. There's the teleological argument and the moral argument. Now, these are fun. So here we go. So the cosmological argument is the first one. The Greek word cosmos, which means uh, world or universe. Now, what is this argument? Simply put, the argument is, if the universe has a beginning, it must have had a beginner, a creator. So let's dive into it briefly. The universe was set into existence. Even scientists with evidence, or even scientists believe with evidence that the universe had a beginning. Um, I think we all know who Stephen Hawking is, correct? Stephen Hawking says this, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Does anyone have an issue with the Big Bang Theory? We do. See, I don't have an issue with the Big Bang Theory. I was like, in seventh grade, I battled my science teacher. I was, the, I was the, the, the religious kid in seventh grade who he kept saying, well, I would always ask, well, what created that? Well, what created that? I didn't realize I was an apologist then. But what created that? Well, what created that? Well, logically speaking, something can't come from nothing, correct? Well, yeah, 
But I'll tell you what, I don't have an issue with the Big Bang Theory. I think the Big Bang Theory points to Genesis 1. Let's read Genesis 1 real quick. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness fell over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. What I heard was God spoke and it happened. Out of the mouth of God, universe existed instantaneously. Sounds like a big bang to me. Now, I actually have a picture um, that we're going to go to for a second. It's from NASA. Uh, the James Webb Telescope, one of the most recent um, technological advances that we have. We sent that up into space, and we get some really cool pictures of the universe. If anything, it just proves God's existence more. Um, but one of the biggest things with the James Webb Telescope is it sees differently. It actually uses infrared light, um, and there's light technology in it. So the pictures that you'll see are not what it actually looks like to the naked eye. Um, but the picture that we have here is just a graph that kind of shows what it's looking at. Um, the James Webb Telescope sees uh, what we call red light. Red light is the slowest of all the wavelengths. And, and we have it, it's called red shift. And it looks at that uh, and sees that red light has traveled the most distance. As light travels, it slows down a little bit. Second law of thermodynamics, if you don't know. Um, if you get to college and you have that class, it's a fun class. Um, but as light travels, it slows down. And the wavelength slows down, and as it slows down, it shifts red. So James Webb Telescope has looks at that red light, and it's the farthest back in time that we can see because, as you guys know, when it comes to the stars, we see the past. We see light from those stars, and some of those stars might not even be there anymore, but we still see the light from because light, it takes so long to get to where, I mean, trillions and trillions of light years. But... That telescope is seen as far back as it possibly can, and uh, the scientists have concluded that there is a point in time where they can't see any more light. So what this picture is representing, the Big Bang, that is, um, as the caption underneath it would say, Webb is able to see back when the first bright objects, stars and galaxies, were forming in the early universe. Again, just sounds like a Big Bang to me. God said, let there be light, and it was there. And now we have evidence. So, let's talk about the cosmological argument for two more seconds. The cosmological argument is about the existence of the universe. Now, for us to be here at the same exact time, time, space, and matter needed to come into existence. Um, one of my favorite ways to say this, if you had time and matter but no space, where would you put it? If you had space and matter but no time, when would you put it? And if you had space and time but no matter, what would you put in it? So there had to be a spaceless, timeless, immaterial being who is loving and personal enough to create something out of nothing. Again, sounds a lot like our God of the Bible, if you're still with me. Now, if you need another source, there's an agnostic scientist named Robert Jastrow. He was the founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. And this is a quote from one of his books that reads, from God and the Astronomers, it reads, Astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential element in the astrono <laughs> astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. What does that mean? Big Bang proves Genesis. Big Bang proves that God exists. So, 
again, cosmological argument, we could be on for another 45 minutes, but we're going to move on to the second one, the teleological argument. What is this? Teleos is the basis of this. It's the Greek word, which means design or purpose. Now, simply put in this argument, if there is design in the universe, there has to be a designer. Again, if there is a beginning, there has to be a creator. There has to be a beginner. If there is design, there has to be a designer. Now, let me put it to you this way. If you're walking through the woods and you come across a computer on a desk, you turn the computer on, you start surfing the web. Well, this is weird. There's a computer in the middle of the woods. You open it up. You see the motherboards and the fans and, and all the connections inside. What would you assume? Did you assume that that sprouted up from the ground like a carrot? Or would you assume that somebody built it and somebody placed it there? It's a computer. Very similar is how we should look at the universe. The universe is so finely tuned to our existence that it only makes sense that somebody designed it. Let me go through with you here on a few facts. In the past 50 to 60 years, we've come a long way in our scientific, scientific discoveries that show that the universe was finely tuned and there was intelligence behind it. Back to our friend Stephen Hawking. He said, if the expansion rate of the universe was different by one part in a thousand million millionths of a second, after the Big Bang, the universe would have collapsed back on itself and never developed galaxies. I don't even know how to calculate that number. Let's keep going. If the gravitational force was altered by more than one part in 10 to the 40th power, stars wouldn't exist, and therefore neither would we. Now, I can help you wrap your brain around 10 to the 40th. Take a tape measure. Go across the entire known universe. Now find your favorite inch. Mine is 12. I like the 12. Um, now, 10 to the 40th power, we have a tape measure spanning the universe. If you were to move that mark an inch to the right or an inch to the left, we wouldn't exist. That's how big 10 to the 40th power is. And the gravitational force is set exactly where it needs to be for us to exist. All right. Now... There are, uh, from what we know, there's 30 more types of constants like that, that if things were just slightly different, we wouldn't be here. Um, but let's bring it in just a little bit. Let's even just go to our solar system. If we were a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn. If we were a little farther, we'd freeze. Oxygen is set at 21% in our atmosphere. If it was set at 15%, we'd suffocate. If it was 25%, there'd be fires everywhere. So it's just crazy. Even on our little planet, things have been designed. I didn't even tell you about what's in our body. We can do a whole Why Wednesday on DNA just to show there is evidence that even God signed his name onto it. Or let's talk about the protein laminin that is shaped like a cross. What does that protein do? It holds our bodies together. Crazy. God has his signature on so many things that there's only one way to say we had a designer in this universe. So we have a creator, we have a designer. Now the third argument is the moral argument. This one we're going to just kind of breeze over for a second. Simply put, if there's something morally wrong, there has to be an objective standard of morality from which it stems. One of my favorite professors in college, first day of class, we're all sitting there, and he asks us this question. He goes, all right, without using God or the Bible, tell me why murder is wrong. And so I'll spare you the torture. For 30 minutes, we were just trying to come up with this and that to explain why murder was wrong without using God or the Bible until eventually he was able to refute everything that we said and bring it back to God. There has to be an objective standard of morality. If there is one thing wrong in this world, 
I mean, just name one of murder. Murder is wrong. How do we know that? It's written on our hearts because there was a lawmaker that put it there. So we have an objective standard for morality and goodness, which is God. We have a designer and we have a creator. Now let's go through it one more time. We're looking for a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things and sustains all things and whose every attribute is infinite. Does that sound like the God from the God of the Bible? I think it does. So we've answered how it's how is Christianity different? We've answered, does God exist? Lastly, is the Bible true? Because if the Bible isn't true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why are we here? So let's look into it. We have to ask ourselves about the reliability of the New Testament. Again, this is the, the focal point of Christianity is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Now, through manuscripts, archaeological evidence, and internal testimony, I think we can logically conclude that the New Testament is the truth. Let's talk about manuscripts for a second. One thing about the Bible is that it was written almost like every other historical text that we have today. And there's so many, I mean, just look at history books. Where do we get that information from? We get it from a lot of manuscripts, and people don't have an issue with history books. Why do they have an issue with the Bible? Now, no one doubts the existence of someone like Tiberius Caesar, who was the emperor of Rome at the time of uh, Jesus' life and death. Now, from another book, a man named Justin Bass, he's from the book The Bedrock of Christianity, he says this. Tiberius was one of the most powerful men in the world of his day. Jesus was one of the poorest, belonging to the peasant class as a Jewish carpenter. He even died the most shameful death, a slave's death, on a cross during Tiberius' reign. Yet we have more reliable written sources and closer to the time of Jesus' actual life and death than to this Caesar of Rome. We actually have an estimated 30 to 40 historical references, both religious and non-religious, that reference Jesus and his life as a poor Jewish carpenter who died on a cross. There is only 10 manuscripts that we know of that reference Tiberius Caesar, the most powerful man in Rome at that same time. There's something about Jesus that seems to attract a lot of attention. I wonder why. Now, if you're talking about the Bible, some people might say, well, it was written over the course of all these years and, you know, the manuscripts from back in the day, we, those can't be trusted because they've been changed so many times. We found something. We found some more manuscripts that have to do, like Xavier said, the Dead Sea Scrolls, that let's just say for, let, let me just um, kind of sum it all up for you in a second. Uh, we can get up to a 99% accuracy of an original Bible, essentially, from how everything was written over the course of everything that we've uncovered, the manuscripts that we found. So when, when somebody says the Bible can't be trusted because it was just written down, blah, 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 that's not the case. And even back in that time, it was a very, like we said earlier, a very illiterate culture. Um, they, uh, a lot of stuff was spoken and spoken down. And we're actually going to get to what I'm about to say in a second in regards to that. So hold the phone. 
So manuscripts, that's manuscripts. What's the archaeological evidence? What do we have proof on this earth, physical, tangible proof, that the Bible is reliable? Well, we have things like the bones of Caiaphas. Who is Caiaphas for our Bible scholars here? Does anybody know? Close. Go a little bit earlier. Caiaphas was the high priest that sentenced Jesus to die. He was the one who said, are you who they claim to be? And Jesus basically said, kind of. And he goes, you have to die. That was Caiaphas. Caiaphas, obviously being referenced in the Bible, we have his bones. This is what's called an ossuary. In the Jewish culture, what actually happens is you get buried for a year, and then your bones get collected so that when um, they believe kind of what the Bible talks about, you know, people's bodies will be restored. So they collect your bones in an ossuary so that you can uh, have your body back. Um, but what you don't see is on the left side of it, there is an inscription on it that says Caiaphas. Caiaphas his name, that's the only name that we've ever known of Caiaphas was the one who was the high priest who sentenced Jesus to die. So we have the bones of Caiaphas. Um, another really cool thing is uh, Saudi Arabia. They finally let us into the country to take some pictures of what is believed to be Mount Sinai. What's the importance of Mount Sinai? Tablets, yes. Moses meets with God up there. Let's look at a picture of what's believed to be Mount Sinai. What do we see on the top there? It's really dark. That's not a shadow. That is scorched earth. Um, now let's read Exodus 19:18 for a second. It says this. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. Looks like the presence of God to me up there. Okay, so that's Mount Sinai. What else do we have? We have the burial stone for Pontius Pilate. We know Pontius Pilate, right? He was the guy who was also a part of sentencing Jesus to death. He had a few more reservations about it than Caiaphas did. But we have his burial stone, inscription on there and everything. And a lot of this stuff you actually find in museums in Israel, um, uh, British Museum of Natural History. Uh, a lot of the stuff you can see in there. Um, so, Jeffrey Scheller, he's a man who in 1999 wrote this inscription in a magazine called U.S. News and World Report. It says this, In extraordinary ways, modern archaeology has affirmed the historical core of the Old Testament and New Testaments, corroborating key points in the stories of Israel's patriarchs, the Exodus, the Davidic monarchy, and the life and times of Jesus. Now let's unpack that for a second. Israel's patriarchs. Okay, that's Abraham, Isaac, and all of them. That's Genesis. Okay, Exodus, Moses, the Davidic monarchy, basically the rest of the Old Testament, prophets and, and all that included the lifetime of Jesus. That's the whole Bible. We have archaeological evidence that proves a lot of stuff throughout the Bible. Does it prove everything in the Bible? No, but... It's enough. I don't know. And these are just a few things that we're talking about in terms of archaeological evidence. Um, what's actually cool, we were talking about uh, Frank Turek earlier. So he's one of my favorite apologists. He went to Israel one time, and he was walking with an archaeologist. He found out that archaeologists actually use the Bible to find things. 
they have been able to find things like the city of David, or this next one is the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam, fun fact about that, that is where Jesus healed the blind man with mud. Super cool. Um, So we have archaeological evidence up the wazoo, and there's so much more that we didn't even dive into. Um, But let's go with our last thing for how we can prove the Bible's reliability. We're going to call it internal testimony. Now, same guy, Frank Turek, he wrote this book called Stealing from God. Basically, uh, it's a whole book to go against the arguments of atheists that their arguments actually steal from God for them to try to prove that God doesn't exist. Um, So it's really funny sometimes. But in this book, he's got seven E's. I kind of tweaked a few of them, so I made it a little bit of my own. Sorry, Frank, if you ever see this. Um, But the seven E's are this. Early sources, eyewitness details, embarrassing stories, excruciating deaths, elaborate writing, Expected predictions and extra biblical writers. So let's kind of go through those real quick. Early sources. What is this? Uh, Every part of the New Testament was written before 70 AD. Jesus died in 33 AD. So that's not a lot of time for people to forget what happened. Now, what we were talking about before, that culture was a very illiterate culture. So everything was you know, spoken orally, you know, you're, it was for the ears to hear and not many people wrote things down. So in a culture like that, even after generations, you won't forget big events. It just does not happen. So the fact that everything in the new Testament was written before 70 AD, everything's still so fresh. Um, so we can believe that these sources are going to be accurate. Eyewitness details. Some of the disciples, along with a few others like Luke, Paul, and a few others, um, they had their own interactions firsthand with Jesus, with Christianity, or the early church. So again, we're getting these eyewitness details of people who were there writing about their experiences. Embarrassing stories. This is one of my favorites. There are stories that don't cast people like the disciples in a good light throughout the New Testament. Now, if you're trying to write a story based on your life, I mean, some of you are probably extremely truthful to a detrimental degree, but, I mean, you you might not put a few details in there that make you look really bad. Um, But one of my favorites you actually find in Mark 8.33. Jesus is predicting his death and resurrection, and Peter basically tells him to, hey, dude, chill. Like, it doesn't have to be that bad. And Jesus turns to him. Now, Peter pulled him aside. Jesus turns to the rest of the disciples to yell at Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. (sighs) Jesus just called me Satan. I don't want to put that in a book. Like, geez. So embarrassing stories like that. There's another one where I think John and Peter basically had a foot race. um, And John won. is really funny. Um, But again, throughout, throughout all of that, there is certain things, or we can talk about the culture again. In every gospel, we see that the women found the tomb first. Why is this a big deal? Why would they write that down? In a culture like that, uh, women were not believed to be trusted. Sorry, ladies. Um, So why would they put that in the book if it wasn't true? Because if they were trying to lie about something and get it across to everyone, you know, pull the shade over the eyes, they wouldn't include that Women were such a pivotal part of Jesus' story. Um, 
So if the apostles and disciples were doing everything they could to get Christianity up and going, like I was just saying, to all the corners of the world, and if it was built on a lie, they would not have included such information that made them look so bad. So let's go to excruciating deaths for a second. Every disciple and, the, uh, and a lot of others who believed that Jesus was the Messiah refused to deny him after the resurrection, and they all died awful deaths. If they truly believed in Jesus, they would not have done that. Peter was even sacrificed on a cross like Jesus, but he said, put me upside down. I can't die like my Savior did. Why would people die for Jesus if they didn't fully believe in who he was? So, we have elaborate writing. Now, this is actually really fun. We have another picture. What is this picture? So, cool thing about this picture. From start to end, if you're looking at the very bottom, every line that you see is a chapter of the Bible. Now, from light to medium gray to dark, that's just capturing different books. Now, what are these arcs above it? The arcs above it is every cross-reference from one chapter to another chapter in the Bible. There are, on this chart, there are 63,779 different cross-references from the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament. There are a lot. Now, a man named Chris Harrison and Pastor Christoph Romhild um, set out to find every cross-reference, and they were the ones who created this. Now, what is the significance of this? Do you know how many authors are in the Bible? Do you know many, how, how many stories were written without knowledge of another story being written, especially in the New Testament? And you have all of these cross-references spanning the entire Bible, 63,779 of them, and you're telling me that that's not inspired by a God who knew everything from start to finish? Come on. We have expected predictions. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. The Bible predicted the fall and rise of many empires, um, even up to modern ages and more. Uh, we can dive into that another day. And then there are extra biblical writers, 10 ancient non-Christian writers within 150 years of Jesus's life who talk about him. When you reference what they say in their works, you get a story congruent with the New Testament. Non-religious people don't care about Jesus, but their stories match up with what the New Testament was saying. And again, there is a lot of information that we kind of breezed over and didn't even touch. But so many people will say that you can't trust the Bible because it was written by converted Jews who wanted their version of the story told. But I don't think there's anything wrong with a story written by converted Jews. The real question in a culture that was so heavy set on Judaism, why were they converted? Amongst all the evidence we've discussed and even all the evidence we've breezed over and didn't mention, I think it's safe to assume the Bible is reliable, New Testament. And if you need any more evidence about the Old Testament, Jesus fully believed in the Old Testament. So, all of our questions. Does God exist? Yes. Is the Bible true? Yes. Christianity is different from every other religion. It's got to be the truth. That's all I have for you for this Why Wednesday. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to do a lot more of these. But if you have any questions, fill them out. Put them in. Let's talk about it. Why Wednesdays are here to stay. I did a lot of research into this, and I will continue to do a lot of research in the next one so that you know what you're getting is reliable information. 
We want to talk about Christianity. We want to talk about it in so many ways. But I want you guys to be equipped to be able to go out and talk to people who might not know God, who might have an issue with God. And I want you to be ready with answers to questions like why.